Moncrief on News Talk. Now, as you know, there is con- increasing concern about the fate of Bernard Phelan, the Irishman who's been in an Iranian prison for the last seven months. And to give an idea of what that might be like, we're joined by Marina Nimat, who was arrested, tortured and sentenced to death in Iran in 1982. At the time, she was only 16 years old. Marina, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sean. When you were first arrested... Did you know why you'd been arrested or did they tell you why you'd been arrested? Uh, they didn't exactly tell me clearly why I was being arrested. They just said they were there to arrest me because of my activities against the government. They were not specific about it. Now, um, of course, I was very aware what I had done. I had attended protest rallies against the government, all of them peaceful And I had also written articles um, about current events uh, in my school newspaper. And, uh, for example, about women's rights and women having to now cover up or being attacked on the street or uh, that sort of thing. Also about political freedom. Then when you, you know, on the the subsequent few days after you'd been arrested, were you questioned? Were they very specific about what they thought? offence you'd committed? Yes. Uh, it uh, didn't take long. I mean, I, when I was taken into a prison, I was blindfolded. I was immediately taken into the interrogation building. I was told it was the interrogation building. And uh, there were a lot of people there. Uh, even though I was blindfolded, you can still see a very little bit from that little crack uh, under it. And I could see that there were a lot of people sitting there on the floor, uh, there were long hallways and there were a lot of people sitting on the floor and I was told to sit with them. Uh, it took a few hours. Um, I don't know exactly how long, but a few hours. It was the middle of the night when uh, my name was called and I was taken in for interrogation. And it didn't take long for the interrogator to uh, ask me about my activities uh, at school, especially. Mm-hmm. I had basically helped, I guess, stage a walkout during uh, my calculus uh, calculus class when the teacher was basically not teaching calculus. She was uh, spreading government propaganda. And I got fed up with it, and I raised my hand, and I said, why don't you teach calculus, calculus class? And then she got upset, and she told me to leave. I did. And my classmates followed, and then basically we had a tug of war for three days with the school principal, And we refused to go to class, but then she threatened us, and we did go back to class. Mm. And the interrogator was very interested in that, and he kept asking me also about the rallies I had attended. And what he was really interested in was who else was um, attending rallies, who else was against the government, and especially they were interested in one specific Person that I had met only once, uh, a young woman named Charlotte. I didn't even know her last name, no phone number, nothing. Uh, she was a member of a leftist group, and he wanted to know where she was. And very honestly, I had no clue. Yes. So, I, I and in terms of say, give us names of other people who who attended the rallies and that kind of thing. Uh, how did you respond to that? <laughs> Well, uh, it's kind of a long story, but um, just a few months prior to my arrest, 
my chemistry teacher, who was uh, a brilliant woman, and um, she was one of the few of our old-time teachers that had actually not been fired yet, uh, she pulled me aside. And she said that she had seen a list in my principal's office. This was after that strike that I told you about. Mm. And there were um, a few names on it. And she said my name was one of them. She even told me a few of the other names that were on it. And she actually said to me that if I were you, first of all, I would lie low. Secondly, if you can leave the country, leave. Because they are going to get you. Okay. And the arrest had already begun. So people were getting arrested and this was not unusual. So uh, when I was arrested, I knew, and, and she said that that list in the principal office, my chemistry teacher said that list in the principal's office was going to be sent to the courts of Islamic justice, which is basically a prison. So I knew that my interrogator, and especially because of the kind of questions he was asking and how specific he was, I knew for sure that he had talked to the principal because there was no way he had that kind of information without actually talking to people. So um, I said to him that I'm not going to share any name with you. And... um, he wasn't happy about that. So he said to me, let's go, uh, let's give you some time to think. And then he took me into a hallway and um, I was made to sit there. And here I had to listen to a man who was being tortured and he was screaming. And then presumably they brought you back in to the room again to see had you changed your mind. Yes. Um, well, they didn't really take me back to that room. They yeah. just, somebody came, uh, this other guy came. And he said, did you hear the guy screaming? And I said, yes. And he said, well, are you going to give us information? And I said, nope. And um, he did, he then took me into the same room, I think, um, that they were torturing that man. He was gone. And then they tied me to a bare wooden bed. I was going down my stomach. They took off my socks and my shoes. And they lashed the soles of my feet with a length of cable. Uh, heavy rubber, about one inch thick, more or less. Mm. How long did they do that for? Or was it hard to tell? I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Uh, at the beginning, I mean, the pain was, you know, you... <laughs> You know, I was 16 years old, I was, I was naive, and at the age of 16, you, I, I, I don't know, I, I guess even if you're an adult, you, you have no idea how much that hurts, you yeah. know? Uh, you, our nerve ends are in our feet, and the amount of pain that an adult man can inflict with a length of cable on the bare uh, soles of your feet is... The best way I can put it is unimaginable. I mean, I, I had broken my wrist prior to that when I was little, and that had hurt a lot, but this was on a different level. This basically disconnected me from me. I became something I didn't recognize. There was 
nothing left of me except this strange, uh, completely consuming pain. And I started to count because I was trying to distract myself, but I failed. I think I got to six, seven, something like that. And I, I comp- completely dissolved. And I tried to pray. I mean, I, I, I'm a Catholic. I tried to pray. I mean, Hail Mary. I mean, I can probably say Hail Mary if I'm in a coma. And I couldn't string the words together. They just evaporated. And it, it went on for a while. I, I have no idea how long. Yeah. No idea. Did it happen more than once? Uh, no, it was one session. It was one session. Um, well, you know, one extended session. They mm. they beat me. Then, uh, I mean, my memory is really fragmented, but my sure. memory tells me that they made me walk. They untied me. They made me walk <sighs> around the room. And then they tied me again and they beat me again. So, why they do that? Actually, I found out later because my knowledge was limited. And people who were older, more experienced than me, they told me that, well, they make you walk because they, it helps the swelling of your feet, which, because your feet swell ridiculously. I mean, I, when I first saw it, it was funny because my feet looked like overgrown party balloons with toes on them. Mm. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. And I couldn't believe. And then they, they make you walk for a while. So my, my friend, my cellmate, told me that they make you walk because the swelling goes down a bit because they don't want to break the skin. If the skin breaks, uh, it gets messy, and then you can die from uh, infection. They don't want to kill you. They are trying to kill your soul. They are trying to destroy you more than physically. Uh, they, they are trying to destroy you mentally. Yeah. And uh, they are trying to kill your spirit. So then they beat you. I mean, I have no idea how long it went on for and how long did they take, did it take them to stop. But they eventually did. And they untied me. What is it? You've probably asked yourself this question many times. What is it, do you think, within you gave you the strength to continue not to give up names to them? No. What it was is that during the time that they were beating me, first of all, for a long time, they didn't ask any questions. So it was just beating. Mm. Uh, it, it, it didn't, you know, again, I think more, in, you know, I figured that more important for, the most important thing for them wasn't even the information, it was destroying me. Mm. And then when they were making me walk and any time that anybody said anything, they asked me about Shahzad. They asked me about that one person that they really cared about and they wanted their her whereabouts. And I had no clue where she was. So during the meeting, they didn't even say... So give us the names of your schoolmates. It, that was never repeated again. Mm. It was only at the very end that the, one of the interrogators said, so are you go, go, going to give us the names? And to be, honest, to be very honest with you, it was not courage. Uh, it was, I, 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 
I don't know what to call it. I think I just couldn't bring myself after the way they had beaten me. I couldn't bring myself to give them what they wanted. Yeah. I just couldn't. Um, it, it, I, I guess I was just being stubborn. That's all. Yeah. Well, that's an admirable de- degree of uh, of stubbornness. The, the, then after that, when you received the, uh, the death sentence, was there a trial? Was there some sort of procedure? Not that I knew. Uh, this was in uh, January 1982. And this was a time, um, basically in the 80s, in Iran, in, in Iranian prisons, especially, especially in Iran. This was, you know, the revolutionary period. Things had not been established. And things remained brutal and crazy and unpredictable. But back then, it was the height of madness and unpredictability. Back then, you, in a lot of cases, especially in 1982, when you had a trial, said you had a trial, but you would not be present for it. There was no lawyer that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like unheard of what, what lawyer. No. Uh, so basically a Sharia judge would um, review your case. And you would not be, pre- in a lot of cases, sometimes you would, you know, I had friends who were present, but they were not allowed to say a word. So um, your interrogator would be there and he would present your case, your file, to the judge. I wasn't there when it happened, so I was told that uh, I was given a death sentence. And it was an absolute shock to me. But I was not in very good shape, so I guess I didn't have the energy to react to it a whole lot. Mm. Yeah, I'd imagine so. There's an awful lot more uh, to Marina's story because obviously she uh, she's around uh, to tell the tale. Uh, her first book, which recounts a lot of what we've been talking about, is called The Prisoner of Tehran, a memoir. And then her second book is After Tehran, A Life Reclaimed. Marina Nima, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk. News Talk.